the editor-in-chief of and just editor-in-chief i'm just yeah. the editor-in-chief yeah editor-in-chief and, and you are the project lead yes here. okay yeah Welcome into the Harvest Friends. I am Abigail Wilson, the editor-in-chief here, and I am with my good friend, Andrew Stroud, who is our project lead, and we are excited to get into our show today. We've got some fun stuff ahead, so we're glad you're here. So first off, Andrew, we have a great listener question from one of our YouTube followers, Laser. Shout out to Laser. Uh, this awesome person um, shared that they wanted to know, should we come up with a testimony when we're a brand new believer? Um, they said, I feel like my I'm still struggling with my faith and getting you know good Christian habits, but is having a testimony ready to go something I should have? So Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, I appreciate the uh, laser leaving this comment over on our YouTube channel. And I don't remember what exactly the uh, episode was, but um, he, he left the comment there. And I think it's a great question because, um, you know, there is a period of time between when Jesus called his first disciples to come and follow and the time when he told them to go and make disciples. And so there is, generally speaking, there, there's a need to get established in our faith and to learn more about Jesus so that we can represent him better. But I think it's also interesting that those first disciples from the very beginning were sharing with others and inviting them to come and investigate Jesus for themselves. And that's what I would say to, to you, Laser, is that your testimony is just the story of what God is doing in your life. And so no matter how little you know, you know what he's doing so far. And that's that's really all it was. Abigail, you, you're one of the most famous chapters, I think, in the Bible about a testimony is out of John 9, where Jesus heals the man who was born blind. And there's a famous verse in there where they're really pushing the blind man to tell them more about Jesus than he knows. And he tells them, listen, I, I all I know is that I couldn't see. And then I met Jesus. He healed me. And now I can see. And so that's really what your testimony is. It's, it's simply you sharing with others what God has done in your life so far and inviting them to, to come and see Jesus for themselves. So that's, that's what I would say, Abigail, what would yeah. you say to, to laser when it comes to developing his testimony? Yeah. So he actually um, commented on our tough love and discipleship episode. And so this definitely fits into a little bit what we were talking about on that particular episode. Um, and just getting into just the weeds of becoming a disciple. Um, so it was definitely on, on topic. So uh, what I thought of first was the woman at the well. So the woman at the well had this experience with Jesus, and then she like heads into town, and she just tells people, um, come and see this dude who knew everything <laughs> about me. Um, and then later we learn that they all said, you know, we first came because you told us to come, but now we've seen for ourselves. And I think we can really see our testimony in that way. In fact, we should. We should see our testimony as an introduction, as a come and see, 
And then we, what we hope will happen is that people will come to know Jesus themselves. So we do not have to have it all together. In fact, the people that we share Jesus with via our own story, like you were saying, Andrew, um, they may actually, you know, just really go for it. And maybe they don't even make as many mistakes as we do. And wouldn't that be awesome? And really all our testimony is, is an invite um, to come and see for themselves and begin their own journey. So we definitely do not have to have it all together. Um, and I know the feeling, like, I think we all are like, boy, I should not be the poster child for Jesus because I'm a hot mess. Well, that's actually maybe the best, the best poster child, because this woman um, was clearly not doing great in life and probably her whole village knew that. And so her saying, this guy knew everything that I've done, they were all like, ooh, and that's a lot, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, let's go see this guy. <laughs> like, that ended up being really awesome. So I think, Laser, I don't know you, but um, whatever your story is of Jesus, it's probably special because they all are. And I think um, there's people in your life who probably need to hear it. So I think right. it is something worth figuring out um, and kind of coming up with our own, how we're going to put that into words. So. Yeah. And Abigail, maybe just I'll put you on the spot because I, I know your testimony is something that you've given thought to and you, you have spent some time thinking through, well, what would I say? You know, first Peter three tells us to always be ready to give an answer to those who ask us about the hope that is in us. And a simple formula that I've heard that can be helpful, like a simple framework that someone like laser could use to think through, well, what is my testimony is these simple questions where you could say, there was a time in my life where, and then fill in the blank, you know, what was your life like before Jesus? There was a time in my life where, yeah. So and for, then, yeah. And then you just can, you can either do a short version right. where you say, and then I met Jesus and made him the king of my life, or you mm -hmm. can really put in the gospel there. Um, I guess yeah. it depends on how like interested the person seems. Yeah. Why don't, and then at the end, you know, there's a, a, there's a simple ending question. You want to end with a question where you ask the person, have you had a similar experience or do you have a, a similar story in your life? So Abigail, do you want to just give us your 10, 15 second oh, testimony? Oh, the 15 second one. Okay. It could be 20 seconds. <laughs> All right, start the clock, everybody. Okay, so there was a time in my life when I was a total mean girl. Um, I genuinely wanted to be the smartest, funniest, prettiest girl in the room. And if I wasn't, then I would do whatever it took to be that, um, even if I had to cheat my way to the top, uh, which is not great. And it did not bring fulfillment in any way, shape, or form. But thankfully, someone told me about Jesus, and I accepted his forgiveness, and I made him the king of my life, and it has given me a confidence in him and a purpose in him that brought me fulfillment that I'd never had before. So I was wondering if you had a story like that. Yeah, and that's it. I really appreciate you being able to share that because I want folks to understand that when we talk about sharing your testimony, we really aren't talking about giving a... a huge theological dissertation. It's simply sharing with others the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And in many cases, it becomes the opening for uh, a fuller conversation uh, with more questions being asked. And that's really what you want. You want a conversation with people who don't yet know Jesus. You don't want to just lecture them um, about all the theological truths about Jesus. You, you want to learn where are they at 
in relation to faith in Jesus? And then how can you help them take that next step? So really great question, Laser. And yeah. great job, Abby. <laughs> yeah, thanks for putting me on the spot there. <laughs> but it's always good practice. And it is actually um, really good to practice, honestly, because right. um, you never know. You never know right. when you might need to share it. So, okay, friends. So today um, we are going to be talking about uh, worship. I'm very excited. But before I want a little ad break, Andrew, would you tell us about um, our latest article on our website this week? Because we've got a really good one oh. and it's a little different. Yeah, well, this is, um, so I would say <laughs> the way I would, I would explain this, Abigail, is that here at Into the Harvest, we really want to help people think differently about life and why they're here. Uh, and specifically believers, we want them to be more in tune with the purpose that God has for us uh, to live out our faith in Jesus. But we also want to give um, practical ways of doing that. And so we hope that we can help people shift their perspective, but then also give them some practices to actually live that out. And so this week, um, I wrote an article on how to read the Bible for all it's worth. And it's a simple five-part system that has helped me read through the Bible consistently over the past 30 years. Um, so if you want to read the Bible, if you want to become more consistent, if, if you want to let it shape your life more, then um, check out that blog article over at our website, um, how to read the Bible. And would love to hear from others, you know, what do you have a system? What helps you be consistent in the scriptures? But that is for sure a practice that, that every follower of Jesus needs to really develop and deepen in. So hopefully folks can read that and hopefully it's an encouragement and a help to them. Yeah, um, definitely check that out, you guys. I think uh, so many of us say we want to do a better job at reading the Bible, but we don't really have any way of actually changing what we're already doing. Um, and Andrew, you just give a really great system that I think is super easy to just put in place. So go check that out. He gives you pictures. He gives you diagrams. <laughs> it's a whole thing. It's very Andrew. So <laughs> go check that out on our on our website. Okay, so today's topic is on worship, and this is something that we kind of put on the schedule um, a while ago, and we wanted to hold off on it because, Andrea, I think I've got this right, you and your group there in San Diego actually just completed a study on worship. Is that right? Yeah, we did just complete it uh, a little over a week ago now. Um, we have um, our leadership community here locally um, does in-depth Bible study um, together on a weekly basis. And so we, we did just study the topic of worship. And the motivation for this, Abigail, I think was really twofold for me. First of all, I had a, um, I had a friend ask me, um, what did it mean? Well, how do they phrase it? They said, uh, what did worship look like for Adam and Eve in the garden? And I had never I never considered that, you know, before sin, before the fall, before we were separated from God, what did worship look like? And so that was something I really wanted to dig into and, and explore. And then um, the second reason it was because I think worship is one of those words similar to the word grace, which for Christians, they're, they're, we, we use that word, we see that word, it's very common, but if you really ask someone, well, what does it mean? What does God's grace mean? What is that? Um, many of us have a hard time 
just in a, in a very simple, practical way explaining, oh, God's grace is, and I feel like worship is the same way that we know worship is important. We talk about it a lot. We, we use the word a lot, but I'm not sure that many of us have a, a good understanding of what it actually is and we'll be able to explain it in a simple way with others. And I felt like I wanted to, to be able to do that better. So that was the motivation. Yeah, that is a great question. Um, and I hope maybe you'll give us what you think the answer is <laughs> as we go forward. But um, yeah, so I, I got to kind of go through some notes and it was really interesting, Andrew, because this last, I feel like this happens every single episode, you guys. Something happens in our own ministry that fits right into what we're about to talk about. And I'm always like, yes, thank goodness. Because really this brain of mine is like totally empty most of the time. So it's great when God just kind of gives me... <laughs> the answers before the test. Um, but one thing that was coming up um, this last week uh, amongst my ladies, we were talking about Acts 2 and just the description that we have of the early church. And we were kind of going through the little pieces that we see that describe the early church. And we were kind of looking at, am I doing the, or am I doing these things in my life? Um, and so we had them kind of divided out for us and it had worship on there, but then a later it had a sense of awe for, for God. And so someone asked, what's the difference? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so in, in looking into that, it really helped challenge my own ideas of worship. So we're going to get into it today. Let's start yeah. by a working definition of what we think biblically is worship. You want to go first? Yes, yes. So I would say that coming out of this study, my working definition of worship is to live with God at the center of my attention, my affection, and my actions. And I think that all three of those are important, that we're giving God our attention, that he has our affections, which I think is similar to that idea of awe, that it that is generating within us. Um, a, an internal reaction, our affections, but then it, it needs to ultimately spill out into the way that we live. So action has to be a part of worship. And so for me, that's it. To, to worship is to live with God at the center of my attention, my affections, and my actions. Ooh, so, you know, it's funny because you went ahead and assumed it was God that we were worshiping. And I did not mm -hmm. in my definition. <laughs> Okay. I said the thing that we put our heart, mind, soul, and strength into serving. Um, mm -hmm. And so yeah. I, I think maybe, oh gosh, the, the, the point there is, is that we can worship right. God, but yes. sometimes we put worship into other things. So. Yeah. And I would say um, so, some of that for me, I, and I think even on this particular podcast we're calling it what does it mean to worship god so but i do think that whatever is at the center of my attention my affections and my action is what what i'm worshiping and i would also say abigail that that humans were designed and created to worship mm -hmm. and so you will you will worship yeah. it's just the way that you're designed to function i once uh, gave a talk and it wasn't on worship but it did have to do with the idea of living with jesus at the center of our lives and I use this analogy of the sun and planets. And it, it, I think it's just a really cool analogy that, that we humans used to think that the earth was the center of the universe and that everything revolved around us because that's what it looks like. 
if you go out and you watch the sun and you watch the stars at night. Um, but then we realized that, oh no, actually there is a different planetary body. The, the sun is actually at the center of the universe and we are orbiting, the earth is orbiting. And I think it's just kind of a cool little uh, analogy because of course we're made of earth, we're made of dirt. And so the, the earth can never be the center. Even if it wants to be, the earth was designed to orbit. And uh, yeah. in the same way, we who are made of clay are, are designed to orbit something, which is another way of saying that we're designed to worship. You're going to revolve around something in life. It's just a question of, you know, what is it? Yeah. And I think that that brings in the choice aspect of worship in that you're right. We're made to worship. You are already doing this. And I think this is kind of what I didn't, I wasn't really thinking about a lot. Um, we're all doing it all the time. Um, however, we can take th this opportunity to think about what are we worshiping? And if as a believer, I'm not worshiping Jesus in certain aspects of my life, how can I do that? And yeah. I think before it was very like, I'm either worshiping or I'm not worshiping. It wasn't, I'm worshiping all the time, <laughs> but sometimes I'm worshiping, <laughs> you know, our, our family rhythms and I'm worshiping, you know, my, my own personal time and things like that, you know? So, yeah. um, I think it really does have a lot more, um, more of a, a bigger definition than we maybe had thought before. Um, so Andrew, what do you think? Like, after you guys kind of did the study, you know, you had a whole group of you talking about it. What were the things that you took away that maybe you had assumed about worship, but um, maybe you're, you're, it's been shifted after looking at the Bible? So there were a few themes that came out. Uh, at the end of my study, I, I tried to condense it down to my takeaways, and uh, they all start with P, Abigail, so you'll like this. <sighs> So great job, Andrew. At the, at the end of my study on worship, I wanted to identify a passage of scripture that was especially meaningful for me on worship. Um, I also wanted to identify uh, principles of worship and uh, practices of worship. Um, and then I wanted to have a personal takeaway, which is my application. So, okay. so some of the principles that stood out to me that you know, I wouldn't say that they were necessarily brand new, but they were definitely not things that I'd given a lot of, of thought to. And one was this idea that, that worship is something that has both an inward and an outward uh, component to it. And this, yeah. this showed up so often in um, almost every passage of scripture that I, that I studied. Um, and so Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about... Um, that we should, well, it starts off in verse one, it says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then in verse two, it goes on to say that we need to renew our minds so that we won't be, so that we can be transformed and not conformed. And so, you know, it's the same idea there that, that our minds, well, first of all, he starts off by saying, in view of God's mercy. And so, you know, Romans 12, of course, Paul's already spent 11 chapters essentially spelling out the mercies of God. And then in, in chapter 12, verse one, he says, therefore. So because of these 11 chapters worth of what God has, has done for us, mm -hmm. therefore, we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And this is what it means to worship 
Um, but it's important that you renew your mind so that you can be transformed. So, you know, that was, that was one thing that I hadn't given as much thought to that worship um, was something that has both an inward and an outward component to it. Um, and, and I think it really starts. So this is, this is weird. I, I would love to get your thoughts on this because I think that um, sometimes what we can think of with worship is we can think of the activities of worship. So um, going to a, a church service on Sunday morning, um, you know, you could call that like a lot of people would refer to that as a worship service. And so you're taking action to go somewhere to worship God. And you may not, you, inwardly, you may not be in a worshipful mood at all. Um, and, and actually, I think that's okay. I think throughout the scriptures, you see that what God does oftentimes is he calls us to take action, to put ourselves into a posture um, of drawing near to him. And I think that that's kind of what Paul had done. He kind of started with the mercies of God. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so we, do, we need to take actions that allow us to remember who God is and what he has done. And then that begins to create within us a different mindset and a different heart, um, which gets into the affection. So we need, I do think we need to give God our attention so that our affections begin to be transformed. And then we live that out. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, that that was, I don't know if it was new, but it was helpful. It was, it sort of gave me um, a flow uh, mm-hmm. and a flow, an order to how we can cultivate a life of worship. So, okay, let me, let me just say it back to you so I can right. make sure I got it right. So yeah. essentially, instead of being um, really like understanding it, having it in our minds, first and then an action comes forth from that knowledge instead we act first right we kind of make a step an outward step of some kind or another and then that renews our mind from like then the lord kind of speaks into it is that essentially yes and that and that initial action is towards god Mm -hmm. so we're drawing near to him and it could be it could be a morning devotion spent in the scripture and prayer. I, I actually see that as an act of worship now coming yeah. out of the study. It could be yeah. fasting, committing myself to, and again, you may not feel like fasting, but you, you make it a priority to give God your attention. Um, and it can be going to a Sunday worship service. That can be the, the initial step that you're taking to draw near to God. Um, and then God begins to transform our hearts and our affections our mindsets, and then it needs to result ultimately in the way that we live outwardly towards or in the world, I would say. So that first action is towards God. He begins to change us. Um, and then the, the next action is outward to live it in the world, to offer our bodies as, as living sacrifices. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this reminded me of that um, piece of scripture where they are Paul and Silas. I believe it's Silas are in prison. Right. And it says that they were, they were singing songs yes. of praise. And then there was this big earthquake and then, you know, they, the jailer gets saved. And I was really struck by that recently that, um, they were singing songs of praise in prison, you know, in the middle of the night right? and everyone was listening to them because that was probably weird. Like that was not a normal <laughs> reaction to being in prison. And I also wondered, 
did they really feel that worshipful or were they in, you know, we don't know. So I'm happy right. to read into this, but right. there was this element of, um, of choice on their part yes. that they were going to worship God, no matter what. And then, and I think that's the piece that's actually the beginning of that story, because then we have the, the piece with the jailer. And really, I think his hmm. um, coming to faith actually started way back with them worshiping. So, you know, the action there did kind of come later. God mm -hmm. also acted by, you know, creating a, an, an yeah. earthquake. But I, I just love that idea that there is a conscious choice on our part. However, God is going to be in it. Like he's going to then help us. Um, and I love the fact that you mentioned maybe we're not in the best attitude on our way to church. Uh, did your kids, were they ever really bad on Sundays? Because I feel like oh, yeah. mine are extra terrible on Sundays. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but no, I, I don't think it's your kids that you're throwing under the bus. I, I think most parents who have tried to, to organize their kids and get them into a vehicle to go somewhere to meet with other believers have experienced yeah. what and, you're I describing mean, we there. We had two house church, so I don't even have to put nice clothes on. <laughs> they can be in their pajamas if they want. I still don't understand why it's right. so hard. Uh, all that to say, I'm not always in the most worshipful frame of mind. Um, and yet God can really show up even though I am, you know, mm -hmm. a little, a little piece of trash, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I think it really is um, so humbling to realize how much of our worship is really just us presenting our little trashy self. Um, there's a good quote for us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So I asked kind of like the big takeaway there. Um, as far as what you kind of made a little list there. So you said devotions can be an act of worship, right. um, mm -hmm. you know, just fasting, even gathering with the saints. Um, you know, we also always think of singing and yeah. doing things of, of RT nature. Um, sometimes just journaling or writing mm -hmm. can be very worshipful for me because I can be very ADD in my brain. And so often the most worshipful prayers that I can have are me actually writing out just how amazing God is or right. just focusing on who he is and not all about me. Um, and so I think that's really one, or are there any others that we can, um, that we maybe didn't cover as far as just ways that are worshipful or really, is it everything? I guess that's <laughs> well, the question. So under the practices, uh, some of them you've already mentioned, I, I do think a time of devotion in the morning is a form of worship. Um, Hebrews 13, 15 talks about giving thanks to God being a form of worship. And that may be what you're describing or what's happening as you journal, um, so for those of us who are not musically gifted, um, yeah. you can still give thanks to God. Um, and, uh, you, just because it's not set to music, doesn't make it any less praiseworthy. It doesn't make it any less praise and worship. You can yeah. praise and worship God without musical notes. Um, but certainly the Bible does describe singing as a form of worship. Um, I think that perhaps in modern in our modern American um, expression of worship, we've sort of, we've kind of taken that one form of worship, singing, and we've equated it with worship. And I do think that that is a yeah. mistake. It, it, we're right. basically taking one particular act of worship mm -hmm. and 
confusing it with being the whole thing so that or just elevating it right yeah just like elevating it's, it it's right. like the right it's the pinnacle yeah. and, and i think because i think that could be because like i said if you think about giving god our attention and then um giving god our affections and then leading that giving god our actions i i think that um when we do sing it it it's like a there's a very short connection between singing and our affection so it's very powerful yeah. uh, music is definitely very powerful um within the human psyche and i think because we feel it so we feel so worshipful you know mm -hmm. feel the affections um that people can say oh that's it that now i've worshiped god because i mm -hmm. feel so strongly but again um worship really hasn't um reached its zenith until we're offering our bodies as living sacrifices. So yeah. you know, really how, how you live throughout the week when you're not singing is the ultimate expression of worship. Yeah, I, I think that's very challenging for me of, you know, I just having that idea that I am worshiping all the week long and just seeing yeah. how that's playing out in my life. If I'm worshiping self or selfish things or just you know my phone or am i worshiping the lord you know through any any number of these ways that i think probably as you're listening there's one that comes to mind um i was chatting with a friend just this last week and she was like i don't like to sing and i'm not into music and so i don't worship but i do like to do prayer walks and i like to be in nature and i was like well great good for you let's do this so um but it really was an act of worship because um, she was going on a prayer walk when she had a ton going on in mm. her life. So that was even, you know, mm. to me, it was in a very worshipful context of, you know, putting the Lord in his rightful place. So, and that's yeah. really great, Andrew. Um, we could probably talk about this a right. lot longer. <laughs> As we always say every week, you're probably like waiting for us to say it every time, but, um, <laughs> but I think that was just a great kind of overview of how we see worship and hopefully maybe some things for everyone to think about. So if you have thoughts on what we've talked about, some things brings up more questions for you, please send those our way at info at intotheharvest.org or just leave a comment on Facebook or on Instagram or on YouTube. We're in all the places and we would love to hear what you have to say. So we're going to now head into our faith and culture segment. So Andrew, <laughs> Our faith and culture segment, per usual, I did not know about until you told me about it. And so I had to do some research. I guess I don't know about anything that's going on in the world. I don't know if I'm just busy doing other stuff. So far, you have not asked me anything about, you know, the things I follow in culture. But you sent me an awesome article um, about Tim Keller or with Tim Keller about the new atheist chaplain at Harvard, Harvard. So it's very yeah. juicy. Right. Um, so maybe you could give uh, people like me that are listening a little summary <laughs> of what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So I think this actually flared up because of a New York Times article. So yes. that's sort of, I think, what sort of pushed it out into the broader cultural consciousness. And then within the, the Christian world, um, Tim Keller had congratulated um, this new, this atheist um, chaplain on his, his selection to be, um, to head up the, the chaplain group there at Harvard. Um, so, and, and then that drew a lot of re reaction from um, 
the Christian world, I would say. I mean, Tim Keller is a, he is a lightning rod for critique. I, I, I don't know what, what uh, you think about him, Abigail, or what our listeners might, but um, I tell you what, he seems to get it from both uh, non-believers and believers alike. He is, uh, it's kind of amazing. But so he was responding to that. And that's the article that I ended up sending you was something that he had actually shared. It's, it's not an article by him. It's actually an article by another chaplain that is on the campus there at, um, at Harvard. And he's part of this group that selected um, this particular chaplain whose name is uh, Greg Epstein. Yeah. So, uh, and he, he went on to explain why he voted as, as an evangelical Christian, why he voted for this atheist chaplain to head up the group. So it, it's pretty interesting. So that's, okay, that's so what we're talking I, about. I have missed the <laughs> why Tim Keller was in trouble part. So thank you for explaining that. So he yes. was in trouble for just congratulating the guy on a job. Right. That, okay. okay. Yes. <laughs> well, the article um, that the other chaplain wrote is really great. Maybe we can stick that in the show notes. Yes, we um, will. If people want to read that. Um, right. Because I think that's really what I found the most interesting. And I thought he did a great job of kind of explaining why he felt fine about voting for the guy. Right. I mean, I, I think this story is fascinating because it's it's just sort of a great lens to think through the shifts that have happened in our society really over the centuries, but all the way up until the present time. So it, it's, it's interesting because Harvard is the oldest um, school of higher learning in the United States. It was founded way back in the 1600s, the early 1600s. It's named Harvard after a Puritan minister um, whose last name was Harvard, and it was initially founded to educate clergymen, even though I don't think it officially ever had a, this is a religious school per se, but that was its purpose in the early years was to educate uh, people who would go on to serve as clergymen in Massachusetts and in New England. So to, to see it come full circle, what... Um, 400 years later, uh, something like that. My math is not great. <laughs> is it, <laughs> is it close to 500 years? No, no, no. Yeah, 400 years. It's fine. So almost 400 years later, now, you know, you've got this school that, that was founded uh, in a Puritan culture to train ministers who has, who has a, an atheist chaplain selected to head up the, uh, the chaplain group there. So it is a kind of fascinating uh, case study in how culture and society has shifted over time. Yeah. And I, even as I was reading it and I, um, I tended to sort of agree with, and, and maybe, okay, I'm going to backtrack. <laughs> I, um, we come from a military background and right. so we have like a different, uh, or maybe just, um, have experienced chaplains and what chaplains do, at least in the army setting, which is where I kind of came from. And so you get used to um, interacting and maybe even working with chaplains who are not in line with you on every theological point. In right. fact, some of them are not even Christians. And so maybe that made me a little bit more like, that's no big deal. But <laughs> I know, I know, no, no, that those so many of you listening are like, no, this is a really big deal, Abigail. And so I wanted yeah. to be able to see both sides. Um, I really just saw it more of a, as like an administrative thing 
did mm -hmm. I miss that? Like, it really was just like, he was going to make sure that there was good communication. He was going to have to do extra paperwork right, that nobody right. else had to do. I don't know. Right. I mean, the headline, again, the New York Times reported on this. So this isn't something that yeah. the Christians are just freaking out about. I mean, well, the, they probably the, thought, oh, this is juicy. That's what they thought. Exactly. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very juicy headline. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, once you actually get into the details of what's happening, you're like, oh, okay, this is, this makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. um, however, there are still people, I think, especially on the faith side of, of the equation that look at this and say, no, this is wrong. This is a, this is a big deal. And there was, there was one quote from the article, Abigail, that, um, that we both looked at that I wanted to mention on the podcast. Again, we'll, we'll link this article in the show notes, but it's actually a quote by, um, a man named Bob Roberts. And he says, in recent years, evangelical Christians have functionally cordoned themselves off from the rest of society and culture. And they've done this for a variety of reasons, but the result has been a church that does not understand the world and a church that does not understand the world is a church that cannot faithfully serve and engage the world with the love of Jesus. So I think that that's what stands out the most to me. And I think it's, it's accurate that as, as believers, we kind of have these, these, um, these dual commitments that live in tension. And the first is that we want to hold true to the faith. We don't want to water down the message. We, we don't want to, to add or detract to what God has revealed about himself in the scriptures and in his son, Jesus. The other side of that is we want to be in conversation with a world that does not agree with that or doesn't believe in that. And, and I think that in, in this tension that we sometimes live in, um, we lean more towards preserving. Well, we're, we're just, even if it just means we're going to sort of section ourselves off and have our spaces where we can make sure the, um, the message stays true and we don't become corrupted. Um, if that's what we have to do, that's what we have to do. And, and I think that that's, that's the point that he's making is that if you go too far in that direction, um, you lose your voice as a messenger. So you're no longer in the conversations that are happening in places like Harvard. Um, so that was my big takeaway from the article and the whole situation. Yeah, that's really good. And I really love that quote too. And it's very challenging. Um, to us of where do we want to stand um if anything you know we want to make sure that we don't have the gospel lost in any way shape or form right. um it's uh we are just in first timothy one this last week and just how paul says to to timothy you know be careful not to get caught up in like a whole bunch of like crazy talk and um, genealogies and all this business but really stay focused on the gospel and I, I think that that is part of our fear is mm -hmm. that if we are in the world, then we're going to get so distracted, but it's our individual um, charge to stay focused in the gospel. And then we can trust the gospel and we can trust the Holy Spirit to keep us as we go out into the world. It can allow us to be friendly and kind and loving to people and say, hey, great job on the job mm -hmm. promotion. And it not literally impact our salvation um that is really like going over the top i know i just sounded very dramatic and but i <laughs> I, I said it only to get my point across uh, i think it's a real challenge for us today of 
finding that line of being in the world, but not of it. And I think this is a great example of that. I know that as you're listening and probably after you read this article, you're going to want to talk to us about it more. So (laughs) once again, you can absolutely send us a message or shoot us an email. Um, We would love to hear your thoughts too, because we're probably still over here thinking about it as well. So um, come join the conversation with us. So until next time, oh, Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, well, just one last thing. Uh, we actually did, a, we do have an article on the blog about this particular issue because over the history of the church, there's always been missionaries and monasteries. Mm-hmm. This, this, and, and that's really what we're talking about here is do we engage the culture as missionaries or do we withdraw from the culture into monasteries so that the, the truth is preserved? So I'll also uh, link that in the show notes and folks can can give us feedback either on our conversation here or on that article. Yes, absolutely. Good call. All right, friends. Well, we can't wait to hear from you. And until our next uh, show, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye, Andrew. Bye, Abby.